This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And away we go. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636. And we're off and running. Two-thirds of our panel assembled in a studio, still awaiting the arrival of Tom Parkin. Mike Van Solen is here, though, principal at Navigator. A good afternoon and welcome aboard, Mike. Great to be here, John, and it's a great day for talk radio. Thank you for that. Kristen Carmichael Greb back with us, former Toronto City Councillor and Community Advocate. How's Kristen? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Uh, i got to ask, it's a serious note, but uh, earlier today you might have heard, a Canadian citizen, a young man, found guilty of trafficking dope in China and sentenced to death uh, mm-hmm. on appeal. It was originally a 15-year sentence, and now it's all this, and uh, the Prime Minister calls it arbitrary. Do we not suspect it's tied into Meng Wanzhou being, uh, you know, held right. for extradition ultimately by uh, for the uh, to the Americans? Uh, what do you make of that, Mike? Yeah, it's deeply concerning, and I, I can't, uh, you can't look at this situation and, and, and pretend that it's not mixed into all the other geopolitical forces that are at our play right now. The relations between Canada, uh, I mean, Canada's sort of stuck in the middle of all this, but between the U.S. and China, um, with us uh, pulled into it, is deeply concerning. And to think that this man's, um, you know, life um, stands in the balance of uh, of a game that really doesn't isn't about him is uh, is unsettling. And uh, look, I, I think this story needs a lot more attention. And I, you know, it's a big job for Christian Freeland uh, and the Trudeau government, but they need to figure this out. Uh, there's a huge ramifications for for our country, for our economy, and you know, for Canadian expats in that country now. Uh, you know, really, uh, really disconcerting. Well, can we play hardball with China? In any pragmatic or practical sense, Kristen? I think we need to. I think it's a difficult uh, game to play and we, we need to tread carefully. But uh, in this case, I think we definitely need to. It, it just seems a little suspicious that this, uh, this new... Um, uh, the death penalty comes right. comes so soon afterwards. The new verdict. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, and I can just pivot here uh, on this issue because uh, when you look at what they give you for uh, trafficking drugs yeah. anywhere in the East, I mean, you know, Singapore, Indonesia, uh, they don't mess around. I mean, that you could potentially get a death sentence. I mean, 15 years is considered soft, it's light. They don't seem to have a drug problem. No, they don't have a trouble with people spitting gum on a sidewalk in Singapore. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. So. Well, so that that begs the question of there is something to uh, severe penalties being a deterrent. No, no it, look, it's true. I, I mean, I, it becomes a question of what kind of society do you want to live in, I suppose. But yes, the, the idea that uh, that uh, penalty is not a, a, a serious deterrent, uh, just look at Sing- Singapore. Walk around that city and, uh, and you'll re- walk around that country and you'll recognize it, it surely is. Um, but is there a trade-off that's worthwhile? Let's say uh, very severe penalties for social scourges like drugs. I mean, the opioid crisis visited upon us. I mean, ironically, some of this meth is coming in, fentanyl's coming in from China. Uh, but I the think qu- there there is a, there is a trade-off, you know. And uh, in a very real way, we're seeing it right now with the the federal government's approach to drinking and driving laws. We agree that drinking and driving is a scourge, and and we have to get rid of it. But at the same time, I think we're deeply concerned with the the grit, uh, the the draconian legislation that's been brought in and the ability to kind of reach into people's homes hours after they've been driving. And I think we, on balance, uh, I believe Canadians will say that's probably not a fair trade-off. So, 
All right. Uh, but even upon conviction for something like serious drug trafficking, if we went the max and, you know, life sentences, no chance of parole, do you think that would get anybody's attention, Kristen? Oh, it would definitely get attention, whether it's um, a valid punishment or not is is something that would need to be looked at. I, I think it's a little harsh. I think we do need harsher penalties for uh, a myriad of, of uh, crimes that we have in this country. But I don't know that death penalty for, for dealing drugs is the, the correct punishment. Well, we abolished the death penalty in 76, but the idea that the Chinese have it, they also don't have a problem with drugs, as we understand it, in their culture. Uh, and we were mentioning Malaysia and Singapore, and now that Tom Parkins here, the columnist with a bluntly social democratic point of view, just relative to the story of the young man, Robert Lloyd Schellenberg, yeah. uh, sentenced to death today. Now, we get that this, and when the prime minister calls it arbitrary, obviously it's suggestive that this is just playing a game, brinksmanship, high-stakes poker. Uh, yeah. If that's the way you're going to, you know, that's your serve, here's our return. So if that's in play, first of all, uh, how is there a way around this for Christian Freeland or Justin Trudeau, I mean, to undo this Gordian knot? Like, uh, now we're we're kind of yeah. boxed we're, in. I mean, there's there's two issues we're talking about here about one is appropriate sentencing. Right. I sort of dovetailed to yeah. that, but I wanted so to give let's you a shot. Sure, let's move to the other one, which is uh, uh, now that we... we uh, now that we're into the situation with China, after the uh, Huawei, uh, you know, the, the CFO of Huawei being arrested here in Canada, uh, pending extradition to the United States, uh, it seems to get deeper and deeper. And I think it's a real challenge. Uh, and I, first of all, I think it's, you know, it's important that um, people be nonpartisan about it, that uh, uh, who, whatever kind of point of view you come from, uh, if you're traveling to China or anybody anywhere else in the world, you want to know. And I've been the recipient of help from my embassy abroad. You want to know that your embassy is going to help you if you're in a bad situation. Right. I do the most for you. And that would, to me, even go to including someone over there. He, uh, You know, I don't know how great his trial was. The retrial was one day long. It was about 20 minutes. Yeah. And for a death sentence, that seems a bit arbitrary. Yeah. So um, should somebody be uh, intervening, uh, uh, you know, with uh, with the Chinese government to say um, at the, at a minimum that uh, we don't have a death sentence here, so so there should be clemency there or repatriation to bring him here, service time here, or something other than uh, some a Canadian who uh, maybe has done something very wrong. Uh, let's not. Yeah, well, all right. Let's not pretend. If the idea is, is so a bargaining it, chip, this guy's a bargaining chip for the Huawei executive. Uh, do we let her go and serve her here, so-called sentence back in China? Here's here's my thinking, John. Mm. If you play soft and you play nice, then you're just a sucker, and they'll just come at you more. All right. In other you words, know, but you, what, you just got to play it straight and no and no and and they're going to know where we're coming from when we defend Canadians abroad. Well, what if the consequence is the death of Schellenberg? It's probably going to be that way anyway, unfortunately. Mm. All right. You know, uh, if we don't do anything, it seems like that's the way it's going. Yeah, governance is hard. Yeah. Virtue signaling <laughs> is a different affair. That and, is simpler. Uh, yeah, a lot simpler, <laughs> easier to do. Uh, Justin Trudeau seems to be uh, finding that out in real terms uh, in a spate of instances of late. He shoveled his cabinet earlier today, and we were just talking to a conservative political strategist who suggests that maybe they're feeling vulnerable in rural areas. Uh, Justin now has more women in cabinet than men to burnish his feminist cred, I guess, Uh any thoughts on this cabinet shuffle, whether it it means anything significant or uh, 
you know, I don't even know uh, if there's a question here apart from some of the, the names and uh, faces that have moved around. Seamus O'Regan is now the Minister of Indigenous Services, dropped from Veteran Affairs. Jody Wilson-Raybould, who was a Justice Minister, goes down to Veteran Affairs. Anything, Kristen, you make of this uh, shovel? Not at this point. I think they're just trying to to buy some good credibility until the election at this point. All right. Uh, Mike, you think they've done that here? I, th- I think it's shocking in that the, they. I look at this shuffle and it, it suggests to me that they feel that they're in pretty good shape running into the next election. To put someone as weak as Seamus O'Regan into <laughs> yeah. a file of Indigenous Affairs, that's something a file that's supposed to be near and dear it's to the fraud. Prime Minister's heart, heart yeah. is, is shocking to me. Um, and uh, if anybody uh, has, you know, concerned about getting to sleep this evening, you should read Jody Wilson-Raybould's uh, oh, letter, oh, yeah. uh, which is which is really quite something in leaving. But what it says to me is the Trudeau government overall feels pretty good about where they are. Uh, they seem to have given up on the Indigenous Affairs file with uh, Seamus going in there. And uh, look, they're going to carry on, I suppose. Well, that's missing and murdered Indigenous women. That was a big inquiry that they booted big time. Look, they, oh, there's a lot more to they fumbled that, that uh, file yeah. for Tom yeah. and I can agree on this. I believe they they fumbled this file from day one. A lot of virtual sig- signaling, a lot of sizzle, uh, no substance, um, and it's it's been a, an embarrassment. Tom, on this matter of uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and the letter that she wrote today, uh, yeah. can you synopsize it for us? Well, I can. In fact, uh, it was it, I was kind of stunned by it. First of all, keep in mind you got to you know the context is this is a woman uh, uh, who's of Indigenous descent, uh, First Nations, and was the regional chief of the B.C. Uh, Assembly of First Nations before she became the uh, Minister of Justice and, as she points out numerous times in her letter, the Attorney General. And the distinction she draws is, you know, Minister of Justice, you administer the courts and you make sure the court have the right facilities and the right staff and the right, you know, appoint. You know, the, the, the judges are all appointed, et cetera, et cetera. That's all great stuff. But I am also the attorney general. I am the general counsel to cabinet. I give the highest legal advice. And she points out in her letter, that legal advice is not partisan. She says that. It's not partisan. It's independent. You have to speak truth to power. And I'm thinking, wow, these are quite incredible things to write in your demotion letter. Uh, she goes on about her mandate letter and about, I did everything that was in my mandate letter. 2,000 word long letter of resignation, not resignation, no, of demotion. Demotion. She's upset. She's upset. Never mentions the prime minister's name once. And, cer- and certainly not once does she say, and thank you for the honor of being the minister of justice and attorney general of Canada for three years. Why do you think she had to take a fall? I think she spoke a little bit too much truth to power, and yeah. the power didn't like what this, what was being spoke to. I would suggest, uh, you know, I don't know because, I'm, but but my my, I wonder whether, you know, being a minister from BC, someone of First Nations descent, watching what's going on with pipelines, watching what happened last week yeah. with the armed response to a blockade, uh, her advice to as a, as a as a as a lawyer. Uh, her advice as a lawyer, as a uh, as a crown attorney in the past, was uh, to take a different path. Uh, and and remember, this is a government that went down the tubes on Trans Mountain because they failed on a court test. Yeah. So I, I think they're and, and and is trying to retry it right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I I wonder if that's if that's like you know I gave them my impartial, nonpartisan, truth to power, legal opinion. These guys didn't take it, and pff, okay, yeah. I guess I'm out. <laughs> 
All right. It's quite sad. I don't know. I, I just want to say the best part of the letter, uh, the best part of that 2,000 words is right at the beginning when she starts out by saying, I will not be commenting. <laughs> literally literally writes that, and then right. the screen follows. Then, then there's, there's 1,999 letter uh, yeah. words to follow, yeah. Okay, I will not be commenting. In our system, decisions regarding the appointment of cabinet ministers are the prerogative of the prime minister. Yeah. Well, he exercised that prerogative. He did. Let's come back. I think that's your point. In a moment, and uh, the prerogative of the provincial leaders is uh, in handing out dispensaries was to put it to a lottery. Some people are saying that was the wrong way to pick winners and losers, but let's find out how the panel feels in moments when we come back with more topics worthy of discussion. For Pizzaville, pound 3636. Oakley Show continues with Mike Van Solen, Tom Parkin, and Kristen Carmichael Greb in a moment. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 